Bonnie's uh, church youth-led service. It's good to see you all here. Um, this is the second year that we've done this in a row. Uh, the first year went well, and so here we are again this year. Um, so this, for me, is probably my last sermon here at FC3 for at least a while. Uh, so I just want to say a few heartfelt words that uh, I'm going to miss this place quite a bit, and I think that I can speak for all the seniors when I say that uh, we value this place greatly, and it's churches like this that make having to find a new one so much harder. So I just want to thank all of you for your support for the last uh, four years, and uh, uh, thank you for uh, yeah just being there and supporting us. Uh, so let's get to the, the sermon. How many of us, I want to raise a show of hands, how many of us has been in an awkward situation? Yeah? <laughs> Pretty much everybody. Okay. So me personally, I've been in quite a few, like more than I can count. Uh, you know, I kind of say that they, they follow me around everywhere. So if there's even the potential for there to be something awkward happening, it's going to happen if I'm there. Uh, so since I'm such an expert in this field, I developed a three-tiered system for categorizing awkward situations, okay? So uh, the first one is funny awkward situations. So like maybe when I come up here and I'm a little nervous and I'm shaking and there's obviously a little bit of tension and the pastor might be laughing at me over there, right? Okay. Uh, but no, really, one of the most, uh, one, of, one thing that funny awkward situations all have in common, for me at least, is a language barrier. So I just got back from a 10-day trip in, uh, in Europe, and there were plenty of awkward moments. Uh, we were at a restaurant one night, and uh, the waiter spoke French and almost no English. And somehow, uh, at the end of our meal, I ended up with uh, like two extra menu items that I didn't know I ordered, right? So I had like a coffee. And then even worse, I thought it'd be a good idea to put the solid caramel that came on the cup, thought that went in my coffee for some reason. So then I have this, you know, little small cappuccino with like melting caramel stick in it, right? It's just really awkward and uncomfortable and everyone laughed at me. Um, but also one of my good friends likes to tell a story. Um, in March, we were in Costa Rica and he was evangelizing to a, an, uh, a, a man from the village in Spanish, and he was trying to tell him that Jesus died for his sins. Uh, a, a great thought, right? Something good to say. Uh, but unfortunately, mixed up the Spanish word for fish and for sin. So instead of telling him that Jesus had died for his uh, sins, he told him that Jesus had died for his fish. Um, yeah. So those are funny, awkward situations, right? No harm done. There's nothing... Uh, there's nothing gone wrong, nothing too unfixable, right? Uh, the second category is weird, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that we've all been in some weird, awkward situations. Uh, the best example I can think of is maybe uh, a gentleman unknowingly asking a woman if she's pregnant when she's not, right? Just really uncomfortable, something that no one on either spectrum wants to experience, right? Right? Uh, you know, I live by a few sacred rules in my life. Uh, I hold to them really steady. 
One of them is never let the words, are you pregnant, come out of my mouth, ever, under any circumstance. That's just something that does not need to be asked, okay? That's something that you find out from someone else, right? Uh, so we could go ahead and abolish that if we ab- want to abolish that question. Are, are, y'all, are y'all down? Yeah? Okay, cool. Uh, and the third one, and the one that we're going to be looking at today, is more of a dilemma than an awkward situation, but uh, maybe a crisis is a better word for it, something that needs to be resolved urgently, something that uh, maybe has a little more weight to it. So this morning, we're going to be in the book of Philemon. If you want to go ahead and flip there, there's a black hardback uh, below your seats. Uh, so we finished up a series on community a couple weeks ago, Deep Community in a Shallow World, which is one of our main um, Uh, focuses of the church. And so today, uh, as we reflect on that series, the community series that Mike preached on uh, a few weeks ago, and as we look ahead to the series on James, which is a book that's very commanding. There's a lot of uh, instructions. There's a lot of rules inside of it. Um, So as we look uh, back and forward, I think today, as we um, read the book of Philemon, that we're going to discover that we see the best of both worlds. We see uh, uh, three men, Philemon, Paul, and Onesimus, uh, who are all interacting in community with one another. And we're going to see Paul here give instruction and give advice uh, and ask uh, Philemon for for him to act on his request. Uh, So this morning, I think we are in a good book that's going to put us in a good place right between the two series uh, so, just a couple of general facts about Philemon. This, this is a story. This is not a uh, theology work. So, usually when Paul's writing to the churches, he's using uh, big words. He's using uh, fancy language to try to get his point across. He's uh, talking about theology, right? Uh, but in this book, this is a story. This is a, uh, uh, from one individual to another, And as we'll see, uh, the language of Philemon is just a little bit different, so we'll be able to pick that up as we read along. Um, So basically, I'll give you all the rundown really quick, and again, we'll read it in just a second. But Paul is one of the main leaders of the church at this time. And so we have this man, Philemon, uh, and his former slave, Onesimus, who ran away, uh, probably stole some money from Philemon in the process, and uh, Onesimus has been with Paul and has converted uh, and is under Paul's ministry at this time. So here we have this letter from, written by Paul to Philemon, uh, and we'll go ahead and read in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so just a simple introduction, right? Uh, So there's two main things that I think we can pull out of this real quick is that one, uh, Philemon is a rich man, right? Uh, In the first century, people did not usually own homes. They were rented. They were small. They were scanty. uh, They were crowded, and there were lots of fires. They often died because of uh, fires and that sort of thing. Uh, it's just not a great place to live at the time. Um, and the second, so, uh, so Philemon here, uh, he says that the church is meeting in his own home. 
Uh, that means that he's in the top 1% of the population because he owns a home. That means that he's a well-off man. And the second thing is that uh, Philemon, or Paul, when he's usually writing to his churches, he's writing to uh, the, the churches and talking about uh, theology, church matters, that sort of thing. Uh, he usually has a much longer introduction to himself. He usually builds himself up, right? He's this big church leader. Paul is a big deal at this time. Uh, so, but here we see Paul kind of maybe humbling himself or lowering himself to, back down to Philemon uh, when he says that Philemon is his beloved fellow worker. Uh, this basically is Paul uh, getting on the ground level with Philemon and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but this is a very persuasive letter. So throughout it, we're going to see literary uh, devices that Paul's going to be using to persuade Philemon. So this is one of them. He's, uh, he's kind of lowering himself, getting on the same level as Philemon, and he's uh, getting ready to ask a favor from him. Uh, and we'll read in verse 4. Uh, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of and of the faith you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So here we find in verse 6 the thesis of why Paul is writing this letter. Uh, this is Uh, Verse 6 says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This is why Paul's writing the letter. He wants Philemon to share his faith. So as Americans, as English-speaking people, when we read the Bible, we read the word sharing, and we automatically think um, uh, door-to-door evangelism, maybe street evangelism, that kind of thing. Uh, But the Greek word for share in, uh, in this context is koinia, uh, now, a more accurate translation of that word is to participate, right? So it's kind of a, a big difference between, uh, you know, maybe going door to door and to and between participating in the practice of your faith, right? Uh, so that's a big key. So Paul is asking Philemon to participate in the community, in the faith that um, they're all uh, part of. And we'll read in verse 8. Accordingly, though I, am not bold enough, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve you on, that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have, have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. 
I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owning me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Ephoras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here we get to the meat of what Paul is asking. He's begging, Onis, uh, he's begging Philemon to take Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. So there's something different that happened with Onesimus. Uh, the word Onesimus, the name Onesimus, Onesimus actually means to be useful. Uh, so he's actually say, uh, using a play on words when he says that he was formerly not useful to you, but now he is, right? So this is, there's been this transformation in Onesimus's life uh, that was sparked by Paul that makes him useful for the gospel and for his ministry. So Paul's uh, urging Philemon. Uh, he's, he's saying, I love this. I love Onesimus, and I want him to be uh, restored to you. He wants Onesimus to be reconciled to him. Uh, so many scholars say that this is a cruciform request. Uh, the word cruciform means cross-shaped, right? Like, like this, okay, cross-shaped. Uh, uh, so Paul here is reaching one arm out to Onesimus and the other out to Philemon and is asking them to be reconciled to one another, uh, which is uh, maybe in our context not such a big deal, but during this time, uh, it was a much bigger deal. There was uh, much harsher consequences for uh, runaway slaves, people who, uh, who stole and who ran away. Uh, he, he would have been in a, a lot of trouble. A New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, says this about Philemon. The gospel, after all, isn't simply a message about how people get saved in a purely spiritual way. It's about the lordship of Jesus, the king, over the real world, over people's real lives, over the difficult decisions that real people face. This isn't a letter that Paul necessarily wanted to write. This isn't something he sat down and said, uh, I need to hit Philemon up. You know, we haven't talked in a while. We're buds. No, this is something that he thought about that he probably prayed with Onesimus over for uh, weeks, maybe even months. This is something that probably tears went into. This is something uh, a whole lot more serious than I think uh, when I, at least I read this for the first time, I read it for the first time that I, um, that I understood. So, um, so Paul here is asking Philemon and Onesimus to be reconciled. Uh, if y'all flip me, y'all... F- Okay, if y'all will flip with me to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. Uh, so this is a letter that Paul penned to the church in Corinthians. Uh, so this is Paul being a pastoral leader. This is him uh, preaching a little bit of theology to uh, one of his churches. And in verse 16, we'll read, uh, and he's going to talk about the ministry of reconciliation that he's given us as a church. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we were once regarded 
even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here we have Paul. Uh, I don't know if Philemon was written before this or not, but either way, we see Paul's words put into practice in the book of Philemon. Uh, Paul says that we are given the ministry of reconciliation. We're given the ministry of bringing the kingdom of God closer to earth. And here in Philemon, we see that he's taking a small step, a subversive step, a step that uh, scholars say is explosive in this kind of world where slaves were harshly punished for uh, these kinds of actions. This is something that uh, is a small step towards bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Uh, so Paul here is, you know, taking a lot of risk writing this letter, asking for uh, his freedom and for uh, him to be returned and restored to Philemon. Um, you know, he's facing the risk of other former slaves asking for their freedom, for him to write their former masters, right? There's probably a line out Paul's door of former slaves trying to, you know, get their freedom. There's, um, so, you know, Paul here is taking a huge risk, um, and, you know, so what does this mean for us as a church, uh, given this message of reconciliation to the world? Uh, I think, firstly, it means that we have to see ourselves not a people bound by a strict set of rules or a code to live by, but more of we're on a trajectory toward in a story, right? So uh, Paul here is... Um, he's, how do I say this? The story to Paul, the story of Christ's love in his life is more important than maybe uh, making a rule that all former slaves have to go back to their masters. Uh, he's He's not making an arbitrary rule that everyone has to live by. He's taking this case by case, step by step in each and every situation that he comes across, and he is uh, acting accordingly. So as Christians, how do, we, um, how do we take this to heart, and how do we put that into practice? Uh, you know, I know for me, uh, this has meant that I've had to be reconciled to people that I don't necessarily want to be reconciled with, right? Uh, this has... This rings home for me because, uh, you know, I've, I've had to do this. I've had to, I've had to go back and, you know, apologize, say things that I didn't maybe want to say at the time, but I knew were the right thing to say. Uh, so I think this morning as we go and as we close that we can all be reminded that we are ministers of reconciliation and that uh, we need to... Uh, you know, take this to heart and to um, 
just show Christ's love first and show the world uh, that we have been reconciled to God and that we are reconciled to one another, right? You know, if we can't be reconciled as a church to one another, uh, you know, how are we going to uh, show the world that we've been reconciled to God, right? So just um, a few, you know, questions to think about. Uh, you know, are we idolizing these strict rules and practices over uh, the love that Christ has given us? Uh, are, we, are we distracted by uh, relig- religious... No. Are we distracted by uh, religious practices that are hindering maybe our walk with Christ in a more uh, fluid and loving way? Uh, so just a couple things to think about. Uh, let's pray. Father, we approach your throne this morning thanking you for your love and your mercy towards us. Uh, God, this morning, we thank you for the youth-led service. We thank you for all the kids who got to come in and listen. Uh, and we thank you that you've given us uh, the privilege and the task of being ministers of reconciliation. And God, we know it's, we know it's not hard, or we know it's not easy sometimes. Uh, but God, we thank you for it. And we pray that, um, that we might be reconciled to you and to one another with the help of your spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.